in a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of Topic Thunder. Here from the Top 10. That's right. When you hear the Topic Thunder intro, it means we're doing questions from our patrons. And this is a, a great benefit for the patrons who are $5 and above. If you're not a patron and you've been enjoying these shows and you want to send in your questions, thoughts, or comments, head on over to patreon.com slash the top 10 and sign up for the Patreon there. And you can and we'll answer your questions here on the show. Right, Matt? That we will. Uh, we don't know what they are beforehand. We just answer them as they come in. So it's a surprise to us. And our first one yeah. comes to us from Oliver Madrill. Okay. Simply titled The Bechdel Test. He says, hey, guys, hope you're doing well. Or you're both doing well, rather. I was talking to my partner, and she wondered if you'd ever done a top 10 movies that passed the Bechdel Test. Ooh. It got me thinking as to what you guys think of the Bechdel Test and whether in this day and age it's still a reasonable way of judging a film and the way it treats women. It seems to me maybe it's not quite good enough for 2022, but would be interested to hear your thoughts. Cheers, Ollie. Okay. So the Bechtel test is, uh, is a simple test which names the following three criteria. The film has to have at least two women in it who talk to each other about something besides a man um, and this was popularized by Bechdel's comic, the name of which Google won't let me put on this page for inciting hate, um, in a 1985 strip called The Rule. So, Matt, uh, movies where two where two women are in it talk to each other and talk about something besides a man. So the question is, is it that's still a good way to judge yeah. a movie in today's modern day and age? I think it's a good element to start with now. I think we've crossed the Rubicon of needing the Bechtel test to pass just to be able, like if they do just at least do that, then it's a good movie that respects women. I think now we've moved past that where we've evolved in what we expect to see from these movies and what we expect to see from the female characters and how the female storylines are handled in these movies. So I think it's a good starting place. I don't think it's the end place anymore that it used to be. Hmm. What about you? That seems reasonable. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that you, I never thought about it until it was pointed out to me. Yeah. Agreed. Cause we're men. Why would we, we we're just so like, yeah, sure. These were fine. You know? Yeah. And then you're like, Oh yeah, that you're, you're right. Yeah. It is exceedingly rare when they have two female characters on screen that aren't obsessing about, Maybe obsessing is too strong, but um, fighting man. over or talking with yeah, you. fighting over or the object of the entire conversation, the whole reason for their existence within the story, and uh, I mean that shit definitely still does exist, and I do notice it now, whereas right. I was oblivious to it uh, before. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, and there are instances where it's completely reasonable in the context of this story that they would be having this discussion. Yeah. But uh, it's good that we recognize, hey, 
the conversation should elevate beyond. This is not all any two individuals would ever be talking about. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think your point of it's a good jumping off point of do this and then increase. I think it's just a case by case scenario. Yeah. Whereas, um, I don't know that you can singularly judge any, any film based upon one litmus test. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does lead to a more nuanced discussion. Yeah. I think more films that fail this are rightfully criticized than not. Do you know, like you said, it's all a case by case basis. And it, there are films that fail this that don't necess- aren't necessarily disrespectful towards women, right? The, but there are a majority of them that do fail that are because they turn the uh, female subplot into just or female storyline into a subplot or into a side plot that they don't have to deal with or spend mm-hmm. too much time creating or touching in on or adding layers to. Like I was watching um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves the other day. It was on just randomly, and I watched the, the last hour of it because I was work I was writing something and working on something. So I was like, okay, I have it on this background noise. And I noticed how, like, she just sits back and wait. Like, after she fights to get into the camp with Robin, the rest of the time, she is a damsel in distress. The whole last part of the movie. And you're just like, that would not have, this is a woman you presented to me as this kick-ass woman, but then you sidelined her so that you could focus on the man. It's how I feel about Raiders as well. You sidelined Marion after she showed you how much of a badass she was and drinking and, you know, kind of uh, handling her business uh, through the back half of Raiders of the Lost Ark, whether you agree with it or not, it's just how I feel. And I feel this way about Robin Hood. You know, here's Mary Elizabeth and Master Antonio getting dragged from one place to another because of Alan Rickman and what he's doing. And, and Robin has to come in and save her. And I think if you were to make that movie now, um, because she has a maid, she has a maid who's her assistant, or her assistant, rather. I don't know if she's a maid, but she's an intended, maybe you would say. They would have had many conversations about other things besides Robin. But all their conversations are pretty much about Robin or or the Sheriff of Nottingham, which is the Alan Rickman character. So I think you could do the film completely different nowadays. If you were to do that film, right? There have been many King Arthur films, but if you were to do, or Robin Hood films, rather. But if you were to do this specific and redo it, I think you'd approach it differently. Mm-hmm. And um, it just struck me this time. That's something I'd never registered, Matt. Never once registered, never once bothered me. And I hadn't seen the film in forever. And then watching it this time, I was like, oh, yeah, this thing fails the Bechdel test. And this thing absolutely marginalizes the lead female to be obsessed with Robin, in love with Robin, seeing Robin naked, all of this. Robin is the cool guy. So it's a different. Yeah, but seeing him naked was a. If this movie had been made 10 years previously, it would, she would have been naked. Yeah, right. It would have been her naked, right? Good point. Yeah, so it's a role reversal, and we're trying to uh, update yeah. and make it less sexist and whatnot. I mean, But I also think that's a little bit of Costner's ego, where the woman is looking sure. at him, is obsessed with him. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Well, I mean, she, by the story's account, she was already intrigued and entranced by him, because right. they'd had a previous history and then he comes back into her life so she has yes it's it sparked feelings that had been dormant or possibly extinct because it didn't think that they would come to fruition again right right um probably. and i believe attendant i i'm guessing lady in waiting is probably lady in waiting my apologies yeah lady in yeah waiting. her valet but uh 
But yeah, I mean, they beat up the guys who tried to, uh, you know, threaten them on the road. And they're Robin's guards. They beat them up and lead them into the, the and then get into the camp themselves. But then all of a sudden, the sheriff of Nottingham is just unbeatable thing, you know. So, but yeah, so yeah, I, it's a good starting point. But certainly, I think, and I think we're seeing more from the films that understand this, and we're seeing more layered, uh, three dimensional characters, for lack of a better term, on the women's side of things in a lot of the recent work that we've seen in film i mean mm-hmm. she said as we mentioned in another show didn't do well at the box office but that's an incredible film about those two um people and the way they play them they take the time to show you their lives outside of them pursuing the story so you establish their lives and then also what they do in trying to pursue the story so it's a great balance as you're watching you're aware of all the um, factors that they're weighing as they make the decisions that they make to pursue the story in, in multiple occasions. So, yeah. Uh, anything more to add to this one? No, I don't think so. But thank you for the question, Ollie. Thank you, Oliver. Um, let's move on to Dan Howland. He says, Hey there, guys. Hope all is well. Been a fan of the show since the early days, but this is my first time setting in a question for Topic Thunder. Well, thank you, Dan. My question today is about movie remakes and reboots. It seems like whenever it's announced that a movie is being remade slash rebooted, everyone complains. Yes, I think it can be frustrating at times when it seems like Hollywood wants to do nothing but remakes, but there are also a ton of great remakes and reboots out there. For example, the 1961 West Side Story won 10 Oscars and would be considered a classic by many. It is a classic. It's not considered. It is, period. And a remake may not have been, quote, necessary, but Spielberg did a fantastic job with his version, and many people think it should have won Best Picture last year. I know I do. That's me saying that, not the not the, the Dan. Spielberg has argued that he did not do a straight remake, and he has said he did a retelling that more closely followed the original Broadway show, but that's all semantics. I also feel this is a bit different for franchises and series. For example, in the last 10 years or so, we've seen reboots of popular franchises like Mad Max and Planet of the Apes be extremely well-received. I know since these are franchises, it is a bit of a different situation than something like West Side Story, but overall still deals with an existing property. So my question is, is there some criteria that you think makes it okay to remake slash reboot? And is there a criteria for something being left alone? Thanks, guys, for all the great shows over the years. Dan Howland. Uh, Matt? Um, I mean, there obviously is no hard and fast Mm -hmm. in any of this. So whatever you say is the criterion. Well, that's just for you specifically. Right, 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 right. Because they could also, you could be staunchly against them rebooting and then the general public embraces it and it becomes a huge hit and you are in the distinct minority. Good point. Uh, can easily happen. I think, A, start with bad movies. Mm-hmm. If it's already an all-timer, then I don't really necessarily see the point, especially if it still holds up. Yeah. Uh, and something like a franchise is utterly different, especially in the case of, like, say, Spider-Man. Well, Sony has to keep putting new product out. Otherwise, they forfeit the character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in that instance, like, it's just going to keep coming. Um, that may change in time, but eventually Tom Holland knows he's aged out of this role. Yeah. And we're going to have a new Spider-Man. Yeah. That's just part of the cycle of Spider-Man. Um, but I think it more so if the original still holds up and is still excellent even through the the eyes of a modern audience, then I don't see the point of remaking it. Yeah. 
it could be a case of like where Spielberg, I think part of the reason and rationale was there's an entire generation of fans that have never seen the original star uh, West side story. Yeah. Right. So if we remake it, then perhaps we get them to watch it for the first time. And that makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. Um, but you know, for a lot of classics, I think they still hold up. So I don't see the point. Um, some might be too slow for a more modern audience. So if you mm. took it, trim the fat in little spots, maybe add it in a scene or two just to flesh out some characters, then you could easily uh, retell it. But others, it just if you're doing a shot-for-shot shot remake, well, I don't necessarily see the point unless you are saying, hey, if we put in modern actors, then perhaps an audience will go see this as opposed to, hey, you should just go watch the original. Right. right. Um, I'm thinking like 12 Angry Men. I think it, it yeah. flawlessly holds up. Good point. I think you can watch it today and it's just as entertaining, but you may not have any gravitation towards any of the actors because yeah. you don't know them. So you're not emboldened to watch the movie. I get it. But if you're saying, oh, we're going to remake Goodfellas, I think the original is perfect. And mm -hmm. I think it holds up for a modern audience. Yeah. Uh, but once again, I don't feel there's any distinct hard and fast and franchises are a different animal. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. In terms of the the criteria is object is subjective. Um I think for me, um, the criteria that comes to my mind is has there been enough time where people have forgotten the original or the classic? Or it's as you said with West Side Story, it's like a whole new generation grew up without this one permeating their consciousness, right? And so has there been enough time since that one passed? And I agree with Matt. If these are bad movies. And you want to remake them because you think there's a kernel of that could be actually be a really good movie. They just got, you know, it's just terrible execution for whatever reason. Then, yeah, those are the ones I would champion much more than trying to remake a classic or trying to remake something that's very well revered by film fans. Like The Godfather. I mean, if they ever announced a remake of The Godfather, I think people would still be like, too soon, even though it's 50 years old. So, um, but yeah, I think that's a part of it. You have to be, feel like people aren't in touch with that movie anymore for mm -hmm. whatever reason, whether it was terrible or it's just too much distance has gone on or we've moved on as a populace from that kind of movie or that movie itself. And you have a fresh new take on how to get people back in love with this film or this story. Then great. You know, like Spielberg said, and you may think it's, uh, what'd you call it? Semantics, but. I think it mattered that he came in with a completely different point of view that was more connected to the stage show, which a lot of people who've seen the movie maybe have not seen the stage show. So you're so it feels kind of fresh because you're taking new angles and new approaches into it and it works. Um, as far as something being left alone, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it, again, it's all subjective, but I do feel there's like a public consciousness of film people love films who understand that certain things can't be remade like you're not going to remake citizen kane it's 1941 that film came out and still yeah. been no remake of that you'd have to update who it's about yes and the story as a whole so it really wouldn't even be citizen kane at that point yeah exactly and something like ben-hur was remade with um houston yeah houston and toby cab oh Kebble, Toby Kebble, but it had nowhere near the magic of the original, oh, not the original, of the night of uh, the 1950s remake. 
that one best picture with Charlton Heston, which was a remake of a 1920s silent version that people loved back in the 1920s. So, so it's it's the time has to pass. Um, but there are certain things that can be left off. I think you could have done re, re, remade Ben Hur, but you needed a new angle into it. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think that was possible. Certain, I think there are certain ones that people just kind of still cite, still connect to, still have a feeling about that you can't and touch. You know, I think sometimes like A Star Is Born has been made four times. Yeah, 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 at least four times. Yeah, and I think they got it right. Mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper got it right on this one. I haven't seen the others, but by all accounts, it's like the yeah. they vary from okay to not good at all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like okay well there's there's an instance where i think you could and then on the franchise front like you just got to give it time terminator is going to be reboot matrix yeah. i think will be tougher but more than likely it's going to be rebooted you're just going to change all the characters but it's the same story and yeah there's certain instances like i think lethal weapon would be difficult yeah it's so singularly uh those two individuals mm-hmm. um but I think inevitably Die Hard gets rebooted. Oof. Yeah, I don't think it'll be good because I think Bruce Willis is the entirety of that movie, but I think it's coming. Do you think Rocky gets rebooted? I mean, in essence, well, kind of- technically Rocky's already feeling like yeah. it's being rebooted. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Um, yeah. I mean, Willis was talking about McLean prequels, which of course make no sense to me unless you're dealing with... Yeah, how small cases in the city but he's known as the nakatomi towers guy right 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 so that thereby just says nothing of true import happened to that scale right until before nakatomi yeah good point otherwise when you showed up in nakatomi you would have been the (laughs) brooklyn bridge guy or whatever it is because you're from new york yeah yeah, yeah. they would have known you I don't know if you can do it, but I, yeah, for any of those franchises, man, it is, and all the Marvel and DC stuff, like give it enough time. Henry Cavill still doesn't have a fucking contract, but like if uh, Martin Downey Jr. elects not to come back, they will reboot Iron Man. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're in essence soft rebooting him with Ironheart. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you know, it's it's a I think it's a public consciousness thing because I do think people, including me, rebelled at the idea of Spielberg doing West Side Story because I was like, I don't need another white dude telling me this story. Let's see it from the Latino point of view. But you know, Spielberg did a great job showing you the film through the Latino point of view, just like he did with Color Purple, showing you the black experience. You know, and that speaks volumes of the kind of filmmaker Stephen is. He just has this ability, and mm-hmm. uh, God love him, you know, because he can do it. And so he really did it with West Side Story. And so you can resist it, but that's for most filmmakers. I hope that motivates them to do an even greater job with it, to kind of put it in people's faces for doubting them. So, yeah, I do think there are certain films there. I don't think, and there's not that many that you can't touch, but there are certain ones that like, if you're going to touch it, good luck. You know? So Yeah. It'd be difficult. None of, none of it is impossible to do. No, 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 no. But like, Some of them I just don't see. Wizard of Oz, I don't. Right. Good point. It's tough to capture that kind of magic. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Um. All right, let's uh, do one more here, Matt. We got a few minutes left in the show. Yeah, uh, we'll take a quick break. Oh yes. Before we jump into this third question, hear this word from our sponsor, and be right back after this. All right, there we are now. 
We have one more. Our uh, thanks to Mr. Dan Howland for yes. that last one. Thank you, Dan. And this one comes to us from Fred Tastic. Oh, shit. Mr. Fred Castillo says, Hey, Matt and John, I'm a huge movie lover, and there are many things within a movie that gets me excited above that movie. For instance, vehicles. <laughs> These can become a, become a memorable character in a movie instead of just a means of transportation. One of my favorite movie cars is The Beast from Tango and Cash. Wow. Uh, it was loaded with horsepower and firepower and a stance that was pure hell. What are some of your favorite car, truck, motorcycle, or military transports in film? No spaceships, because that's not something someone can purchase and use as their daily driver. <laughs> Thanks for reading this, and I'm looking forward to hearing your opinions, Fred Castillo. All right, so we have to be able, because he puts military transport in there. So outside of Humvee, we really can't order any in there. Because the first thing I thought of was the, uh, the Osprey in Transformers. Oh, yeah. Because the military had been developing that for so long, and that was basically its unveiling to the general public was, was in a fucking movie. Yeah, and I think it's pretty cool. Uh, but since I can't purchase an Osprey, Light Cycle and Tron? Oh, yeah, that's a great choice. Can't purchase it, though, but it's in I don't want to be limited by that, because none of the cars in these movies are purchasable. They're all souped up and made for these movies. But I guess if you want to go to the ground level and see cars that you think could be purchasable, uh, I would throw um, a stuntman Mike's car from... What, Death Proof? Yeah. I mean, that thing was awesome and in, and un, insane, right? Because, I mean, the the horrible scene when he does what he does to the girl in the car, it's just fucking heartbreaking. But the car itself to be able to do the things it can do because of how he drives it is pretty awesome. For sure. Yeah. Um, the DeLorean, right? Even Great choice. You, you can't purchase the one that actually flies into a time machine, but you could get a DeLorean. You could. I know a friend of mine who's a voiceover coach bought one. <laughs> really? I heard those things are just money pits. Yeah, they are, but it was about status to have that thing. What status is that exactly? So, well, you've got the, the status door. of potentially finding cocaine in the doors. Is that the status we're going for? Um, Matt knows, ladies and gentlemen, with a 1980s joke. <laughs> it's a 1980s car. It's true. It's true. It's a, it ceased to exist shortly after. There's a reason they chose it for the movie because like it looked futuristic, but it's not a common car. And yeah. the company had already died at that point. Yeah. Um, so how dare you? No, I apologize. How dare you? How about uh, the let's see? Oh, go ahead. You got one? Well, in like uh Ready Player One, they have the DeLorean, but then they've got the the motorcycle from Akira. Oh yeah, right. They've got that Bigfoot esque uh you know, monster machine, whatever the fuck you want to call those things. Yeah. Yeah. The monster truck, monster yeah. truck. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of the, even though it's animated, uh, but the dreadnoughts car in uh, GI Joe's. Oh yeah. Good call. With the minigun on the, the front. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else is there? I throw the Ecto one in there. The from Ghostbusters. All right. The, um, was it the hearse that they convert into the business car to go and get those ghosts that they're not afraid of? Um, 
That's right. <laughs> oh, what about the Humvees from uh, The Rock? Yeah, the same as any others. I don't know. They seem to be pretty incredible on those San Francisco streets. Um, what else? I guess some people like that motorcycle from Easy Rider. I'm not an Easy Rider fan, but I know some people like that car. Yeah, the movie's a collection of vignettes. It's all right. Yeah. That's the through line is tenuous at best at times. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, I'm trying to think. Cars. Kit? Would you want Kit? Oh, oh sure. Not a movie. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, there's, uh, of course, all the James Bond stuff, Aston Martin and all that. Sure. It's pretty badass. But then I can't, none of them stand out so memorably that I'm like, that one specifically. <laughs> Fair point. Well, I couldn't tell you the make and model. Right. Uh, and they're not so unique that you can't do like what he's doing with, as soon as he says Tango and Cash, I'm thinking of that big ridiculous truck. Oh, yeah, right. So you say James Bond car and be like, which one? Okay, then what were its gadget? I got to get into the weeds a little bit to figure out. The only one that stands out, I guess, would be Skyfall because it was like kitschy that they went back to. Yes. Um, but beyond that, they're all kind of just one and the same. What about um, what was I was looking at? Because I'm looking up these cars now. What about the Tumbler from the Batman from Dark Knight? Ooh, right. And it's a twofer. You get a motorcycle out of that as well. You do. Yes, you do. What about the bat wing? Can Which you get you... the bat wing? Can they buy the bat wing? Hey, look, we, we said the buying is not going to be one of our factors in this. I will stay away from military tech. That's fine. Okay. Would you rather have the tumbler or the bat wing? I'd take the bat wing. Yeah, I'd rather have the tumbler. Absolutely. Ooh, no. I would rather have... What, uh, Pattinson's Batmobile? Yes, Pattinson's Batmobile. I was just about to say the Batman Batmobile. I was trying to say it in my mind before I said it out loud. The Batman Batmobile, yeah, from uh, uh, 2022. Like that well, it's one. like a yeah. regular car except extra badass. Come on. It's not well, regular. I'm saying compared to the Tumblr, which is a Humvee yeah. made for very specific military applications. Tumblr is a bit too much. Tumblr's like, my dick is kind of small. Whereas... Pattinson's car is like, oh no, it's the right size. That's what I like about that Batmobile. No offense to the Tumbler or the Christian Bale. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's an analogy you don't often hear, so it's good that we <laughs> got a chance to use that. Hey, oh, hey, uh, you calm down there, DeLorean. You can fucking calm down. I just made I made a cocaine reference because of the owner. You're comparing dick sizes to Batman. And now forcing us to wonder how big Christian Bale's crank is. Hello. That uh, he's got to make that choice. Okay, well, of all the... Yeah. Would you take 89's Batmobile over the Tumblr? Yes, I would actually take 89's Batmobile over the Tumblr. So would I. It's so sleek, man. It's a it's badass a car. It's like for the over-the-top theatrical, if you're going to make a Batmobile, that's pretty flawless. Dude, the reaction from everybody when he took the fucking cover off that thing in the flash trailer that alone tells you how much iconography that batmobile has the 1989 one uh, don't hype it up too much they might throw that on the shelf and we'll never see it <laughs> uh, yeah good point no no there's no way they're killing that i know <laughs> not after the reports of like dude ezra's really taking to his therapy dude, uh, okay he's really okay understanding his role such a good dude these days <laughs> all right 
Are there any women-driven vehicles? I was trying to think of some of the women-driven. Trying to think of like something from Gone in sixty seconds that Angelina might have driven. I mean, or... the Mini Cooper, an Italian job, sure. Cool. But it's like I. That's if that's the case, then the the Born Identity one. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good. I love that one. That's right. Um. She's kind of gone away, huh? Franca Potent. She's like. She was like oh, the fell new- off the face of the earth as far as movies are concerned. Oh, yeah. She was like the Numi Rapace before we had Numi Rapace. No, she had so much buzz from Run Lola Run. Right. Then going into Born, and you're like, okay. And then it's going to happen. Nothing after that. Yeah. She got killed off on screen, and <sighs> apparently that just submarined her everywhere else. I was so mad that they did that. And that she did that. Like, never go back to get your ass killed off. Why? Let them kill you off off screen. Fuck them. Hey, paycheck. Maybe they offered her just an insane sum of money to show up for that one shot. Maybe. Listen, um, you never know. Is there anything? Oh, Smokey and the Bandit, right? The Bandit's car? Come on. That's an iconic. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, if you're going to do that, uh, oh, shit. What was the the car racing one with Burt Reynolds with that going across the country? Oh, Cannonball Run. Cannonball yeah. Run. Thank you. Hell yeah. There's got to be a better version in there. Yeah. All the Fast and Furious cars, of course. Oh, of course. Do Come magnets? Come on. What are we talking about? <laughs> These things got magnets now? Oh, God. This, this, this fucking franchise. Dude, the magnets, the magnets fly into space. I haven't seen the movie. I think you're wasting the potential of these you should be doing watch alongs of each of these movies and just eviscerating them and making them like a something you can give to 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 people as a as a gift or something or maybe bless uh, humanity with my insightful shittiness yeah you're a funny motherfucker so jump on and and, and fucking do a commentary now i have to watch 20 hours of fast and furious films or you wish it was just 20 hours there have been nine of those films and each of them is well past two hours. So okay. you're looking at maybe 22. 22, probably 22, 23 hours. Yeah. Ridiculous. That is the thinnest of premises already. <laughs> After you get out of the first one, the first one's like, whatever. Yeah. It's a basically a, a Roger Corman film with sure, a better sure. budget. Sure, sure. And now we've gotten to just ridiculousness. Good the for new you, one man. is... um. Apparently $340 million right now, the budget, which is fucking insane. Seems reasonable because it's going to make $2 billion. You hope. The last two have made less than the seventh installment. So what was the Rock's last one? Less. Well, it was during COVID, too. So to be fair, to be fair. True. What was the Rock's last one? Was it seven? Which one? The Hobbs and Shaw? No, no, no. Are you, are you counting oh, Hobbs oh, and Shaw oh, on oh. that? Box office mix? I'm talking about no, that. No, 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 no. Uh, was that his last one? Maybe it was. Yeah. Fast Furious 7 did 1.5 billion. Fast 8 was his last one. That one did 1.2 billion. And Fast and Furious 9 did 726 million. So it's gone down. But I mean, you can excuse, I think, um, 9 because of the. Yeah, the pandemic. The pandemic, right? But eight went down by four hundred thousand. So I don't know. We'll see what ten does. I think losing the rock is a big 
deal for this franchise. It really is. Um, don't have much star power, but I don't know if people tune in for the star power. So yeah, I mean, look at Black Adam. It is not going to make money. Hobbs and Shaw box office was seven hundred sixty million, so that was more than Fast and Furious Nine. But again, yeah, that was a regular year, though. Yeah, Black Adam box office right now is at three hundred and sixty-six point nine right now. So, boy, he tricked people though, didn't he? He tricked people into believing this whole thing. Oh, you know, I should fight Superman. What are you talking about? Your movie isn't going to make money. Well, and Cavill doesn't have a contract, so I don't yeah. know why they do that and then don't give him a contract. But <laughs> who knows? Weird. It was a different brain trust before the new one came in, so we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. Yeah, who knows? Uh, anyway, all right. That's I think that's good, right? I feel like this is good, don't you think? Yeah, I would imagine right. so. I so, uh, okay. I was going to say thank you to Fred Castillo for sending in that question to to everybody else that sent it today, Oliver Madrill and Dan Howen. And you can follow the show at Top Ten Show on Twitter, all spelled out, or on Instagram and YouTube. It's forward slash the Top Ten Podcast, and you can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost. You can follow me at The Roca Says. You all take care of yourselves. Be well. We'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of Topic Thunder. Thunder.